Well, we are especially blessed as a church in general. Amen. The Lord has been good to us. Uh, He's so faithful. Uh, But we are blessed in a special way uh, this morning to have Randy Patton with us. Now, over the years, Randy has been a pastor. He's been a trainer of pastors, a counselor to pastors. Uh, For 16 years, he served as the executive director of, uh, then it was NANC, now ACBC, Uh, That means the Association of Certified Biblical Biblical Counselors, Uh, and NANC is what it was then, which was the uh, National Association of Nuthetic Counselors. That all will be on the quiz, all right? Uh, That is an organization uh, that's geared towards uh, exalting Christ, uh, exalting the sufficiency of the Word of God. Uh, It's geared, if you were in Sunday school this morning, towards taking the Word of God and putting it to work in the lives of God's people. All right? That's the simplest way to put it. Uh, But Randy also has been involved in doing that kind of training for almost 40 years. Almost 40 years. Uh, He also now serves as the training um, director of training emeritus for ACBC. So he was Dan's, Pastor Dan's, uh, mentor trainer for becoming a fellow. And much of what uh, I think Dan has implemented to us and passed on to us has, has come from Randy Patton. And we have all been immensely uh, enriched and blessed and served by Pastor Dan for years. Right? We're all better ministers of the Word of God because of our pastor, Pastor Dan. Um, but that largely has come to us from Randy Patton in a lot of ways. So we are indebted to you, brother. Uh, We really are. We owe you a debt of gratitude. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for your friendship to Pastor Dan, to your ministry to us through him. And so would you come and preach the word for us? Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I will repeat what I said at the beginning of the Sunday school hour when I was introduced. I think God will forgive Pastor Barlow for all those exaggerations. And hopefully forgive me for enjoying them as much as I did. <laughs> so, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful treat and privilege for me to be back here. Uh, you know, it's always encouraging to a preacher when you're invited back for the second time. So uh, I had a, such a wonderful experience with you last year, and so it's a, just a joy and privilege for me to be back. And I've been treated uh, royally while I've been here. Uh, Pastor Jason Cruz and Kelly had me in their home for a delicious meal and wonderful time of fellowship with their family. Uh, The first night I got here, Pastor Barlow's just been so gracious and kind. Uh, And, of course, uh, Pastor Dan Kirk, I I miss being here and seeing he and and Chris. I had such a wonderful time with them last year when I was here. And uh, I continue to stay in contact with him and I continue to pray for them during this uh, new season of life for them, just as I'm sure you are. Also, I want to give a a word of commendation to uh, Kyle Rowland and the tech team. And uh, I get to travel and speak in a number of different churches and conferences. And everywhere I go, there's nice, kind people who turn on the technology for me. But I find that they know how to turn it on, but if something goes wrong, they don't know what to do. And I love coming here because you not only have nice, kind people who know how to turn the stuff on, but they know what to do when something goes wrong. <laughs> and uh, Kyle and his team have just 
made it so much easier for those of us who are speaking. We don't have to worry about the technology. And also I want to say a word to Jack Clonch, who's been a very kind chauffeur and helping to get me where I need to be on places. And he's been so kind and gracious uh, to me. Well, in deciding and thinking about what to speak on, there were a lot of options. And I chose to speak on the subject today of your faith and the storms of life. And I'm doing that uh, for a number of reasons. One is, I think this is a common denominator, but in our country today, we've got more storms maybe than ever before. But uh, your church, you as individuals have been facing some whitewater days. So by way of introduction, uh, let me just tell you how God has worked in my heart a little bit. Some time ago, I was grappling with the question, uh, see what I mean? They know how to fix problems. Uh, Some time ago, I was grappling with the question, is it realistic to think that a Christian should handle the trials of life differently than a non-believer? I think the answer is a resounding yes. If you're professed to be a Christ follower, you ought to be handling the challenges and difficulties of life differently than your unsaved neighbor or co-workers or fellow classmates. I mean, think about it. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us. We have the Son of God who died on the cross to make it possible for us to be saved. We have the Holy Spirit who's drawn us to, to, to Himself. He's given us the Bible, which is said to give us everything we need for life and godliness. I mean, what are you going to do with all of that? Well, we ought to be handling life differently than unsaved people. The fact is, we all face difficulties and challenges in life. We're in a broken world. And whether it's rebellious children or parents that seem unrealistic or health issues or financial challenges, moral issues, the fact is we live in a day and time that is significantly challenging. Some years ago, I was wrestling with this, and I was challenged from the Word of God that living by faith is essential to pleasing God. And I was at a point in my life where I was grappling with this, and a verse that God used to really get in my face about this was Hebrews 11.6. You're familiar with it. It says that without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I mean, ponder that. Without faith in your life, it is impossible for you to please God. And as I was personally grappling with that, I had to wrestle with the issue, what is faith? What is faith on Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? What is faith on Wednesday mornings at work? What is faith at school during the day? What is faith at home with a child that's misbehaving? What is faith when it comes to husband-wife struggles or parent-child issues? What, What is faith when it comes to dealing with my besetting sin? What is faith with a job loss or a health crisis? Um, I was trying to, I wanted to be pleasing to God. And I was trying to think, 
what does it mean, practically speaking, to live by faith? Well, as I grappled with this, um, I learned that, I've learned as a counselor, that defining terms can be very helpful. So as a result of my study, um, I have concluded that living by faith is the conscious decision to think and act biblically, even if there's no human reason to do so. That's what faith is for you. Faith is the conscious decision. I am going to think and act biblically, even if there's no human reason to do so. That's what it means to live by faith. At the time I was personally grappling with this in my own life, and coming to this conclusion that this is what faith means. In my study of the scriptures, I came across a passage that basically transformed my life and how I think about this. It's Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. And I invite you to turn in your Bible to that passage, which is our text for today. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. Now, once you get there, I'm going to ask you to do something that probably doesn't happen very often uh, here. I'm going to ask you to not look at your Bible. What I'd like you to do is to look at me for just a moment, or you may prefer just to close your eyes. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. And the tendency that I've seen in my own life, and others tell me it's true of them, is that with familiar passages, when you start the paragraph, you kind of know what's coming, and there's a tendency just to kind of skip, you know, to the end, because I, you know, I've heard that story dozens of times. <clears throat> and as God used this passage in my life, it's the details that are significant. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to either listen to me as I read this scripture, or close your eyes. What I want all of you to do is just picture in your mind as best you can. Picture this event happening. And then in just a moment, I'm going to start explaining it. And that's when you should look at your Bible again to make sure I'm telling you what the Bible says. All right? Please listen to the Word of God. This is Luke 8, 22 to 25. Now, it came about on one of those days that he and his disciples got into a boat. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to him and they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And being aroused... He rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped. And it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him.
Now, considering that passage, it teaches us that God wants us to live by faith, and there's some key truths here that can help us in this matter. The first truth is, from verse 22, we learn that your faith will be tested. More precisely, this passage teaches us that your faith is going to be tested. It's going to come on the ordinary days of life. Uh, I love the, <laughs> the way the New American Standard Version starts this. It just says, on one of those days. It's what I'd call a, a vanilla day. Just one of those days. You know, regardless of your age, most of us have forgotten most of the days that we've lived. We just, we don't have enough RAM to remember every single day. And the reason is most, most of our days are what we, I would call vanilla days, you know. For many of us, tomorrow will be a vanilla day. I mean, we're going to get up about the normal time, have about the normal thing for breakfast, leave for school, leave for work about the normal time, have lunch about the normal time, leave work, leave school about the normal time, go home, have about the same thing, normal thing for dinner, normal chores, go to bed about the normal time, start up on Tuesday, you know, repeat. That's what I call vanilla day, all right? There's a cycle to them, a similarity, and they just kind of blur into the background. But every now and then, what starts out as a vanilla day will be interrupted by an event could be a phone call, could be an automobile accident, could be uh, something happening with a child or something, and all of a sudden a vanilla day is turned to chocolate or chocolate chip or strawberry or something. And we remember that day because something happened. But I want you to notice from the scripture that the testing of your faith is just going to come on ordinary days. Just one of those days. But further, verse 22 teaches us it's going to come in the normal, ordinary, familiar ways of life. <clears throat> this was significant for me to learn this. Think about it. If you had been given the assignment of testing the faith of the 12 disciples, what would you have done? I thought, well... I have an interest in aviation. Maybe I'd have given them a ride on an airplane. That would have tested their faith for sure, wouldn't it? I have an interest in motorcycles. I might have given them a ride on a motorcycle. That would have tested their faith. That might test some of your faith. Um, notice the ways of God. When Jesus wanted to test the faith of these 12 disciples, half of whom are fishermen by trade, he puts them in a boat in the middle of the lake in a storm in familiar territory. There's something to be learned there for each of us. Do you know how God's going to test your faith? It's in those common, ordinary parts of your life. Are you married? You can expect your faith in God to be tested in the marriage. Are you a parent? You can expect your Faith in God to be tested in parent-child relationships. All of us are children. You can expect your faith in God to be tested in your relationship with your parents. Do you have a job? 
You can expect your faith in God to be tested at your place of employment. Children, listen to me. Those of you who profess to be followers of Christ, you can expect your faith in God to be tested at school. In whatever is common, whatever is ordinary, God uses to test our faith and see if we're going to discipline our thinking to think and act the way he wants us to in that particular situation. Your faith will be tested. But second, this passage also teaches us that your faith should be evident during the storms of life. Verse 25, I think, is striking. At at the end of of the story, we hear Christ rebuking the disciples saying, Where is your faith? Now think about that. Faith is something that is exercised. It's an inner man issue. But faith on the inner man shows up and is expected to show up in each of our lives. If you're a Christ follower and you profess faith in Jesus Christ and you're seeking to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to him and you want to live by faith because you know without faith it's impossible to please him and you're consciously trying to do that, that is an inner man decision, inner man commitment. But it is expected to show up. That's how Christ rebuked them. Where is your faith? Well, from this passage, we we learn this. Whether or not your faith shows up is contingent on who and what you think about. Whether or not your faith shows up is contingent on who and what you think about. And here's something else. Uh, Your mouth will reveal what's in your heart and in your mind. One of my favorite verses that's been so instructive for me as a follower of Christ and as a counselor is Luke 6.45. It comes at the conclusion of some teaching by Christ. And he says, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, and you know when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the core of our being, that center of our thoughts and emotions and aspirations and motivations and so forth. He says, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So, the evidence of whether or not we are living by faith, oftentimes, will be revealed by what comes out of our mouths. Because our mouths... Speak from that which fills our heart. Well, a moment ago, I said whether or not you live by faith is contingent on who and what you think about. So let's uh, ponder those a little bit. When it comes to the who of faith, you have two options when you're in the storms of life. Your options are you can either choose to focus on yourself or you can choose to focus on God. I think it's obvious from the text that the disciples were focused on themselves. And part of the (laughs) dead giveaway on that is they're in the midst of this storm. It was a bad storm. I mean, bad enough they think they're going to die. But can you picture yourself in that boat and this storm, and things rocking and rolling, the things filling up with water, and you look up and here's Christ up here sleeping. And the disciples want to go wake him up. I mean, how do you, in your mind, how do you picture them doing? I mean, when we get to heaven someday, 
I want to see the replay on IMAX in heaven on this event, you know. I mean, how did they go wake him up? You think, well, somebody kind of eases up and kind of gently nudges him or something? I don't think so, because these guys think they're dying, and they're frustrated. They're focused on themselves. Did you notice what they said? Master, master, we're perishing. Didn't say anything about him. Just me. Nothing is easier for us as individuals when we're in the midst of the the storm than being self-centered, focusing on ourselves. But biblical faith is manifested when we discipline our minds to focus on God, not ourselves. When you discipline your mind in the midst of the storm to focus on God. The Bible demonstrates this over and over again. For example, Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. I had a medical doctor friend who was facing the final days of his life, and we knew it was coming in the few months or so we anticipated and I said doc uh, are you afraid of dying and his response was no I'm not afraid of dying I'm a I'm concerned about the process that leads to dying that's the valley the uncertainty one of the hardest things even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death that's about as hard as it gets I'll fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me here's one Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Brothers and sisters, that means that when you need God the most, he's right there. Or think about this one, Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I dread? Here's my favorite one. Isaiah 26, 3 in the King James Version. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. In the Hebrew, it's peace, peace. Think about that. God says, Thou will keep him in peace on top of peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Notice how clearly it ties trust or faith in God with focusing on him. Let me tell you about um, one of my failures as a pastor, one of the very instructive moments that God allowed me to have. Years ago, uh, when I was a pastor in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we had a dear lady in our church named June who uh, was couple of decades older than me and at the time and who was diagnosed she told me she had some physical problems going on asked us to pray going in for some tests so forth later the test came back revealed that she had one of the dreaded diseases of our day and time and as I kept in touch with her and about how things are progressing uh, her situation continued to decline over the next uh, months and year or so and uh <clears throat> Her abilities to attend services uh, got to be 
um, less frequent. But I stayed in touch with her, and she's kind of in and out of the hospital. And I started noticing that her stays in the hospital were getting longer, and the gaps in between her hospital stays were getting shorter. And uh, her situation was declining. And on one particular time, she had been in the hospital for multiple days. And uh, my plan was to go see her on a Friday because... um, I had obligations on Saturday, Sunday, and then on Monday, and I wouldn't get to see her again on Tuesday. So Friday, I went to see her, and going to visit June was always a unique experience because June uh, was an avid Bible student, and uh, she had a library. I mean, she gave me some books from her library that I didn't buy while I was in seminary, and you go to visit her, and by her nightstand, by her bed, she'd have this stack of theological books and her Bible, of course, and whenever I go to visit her, she's either reading one of her theological books or her Bible, or she's listening to the Christian radio station. Just always like that. So we'd have good, rich, spiritual conversations. So this day, I go in to see her, and she's, uh, she's not doing so well. And we had a good visit. I prayed with her, left, thinking I wouldn't get to see her again until Tuesday. Sunday morning, 3 a.m., the phone rings beside my bed. I answer it. It's the nurse's station on June's floor telling me that June has taken a turn for the worse and she and her husband are asking if I'd come to the hospital as soon as possible. So uh, I call one of my deacons to meet me. I jump up, I get dressed, I drive downtown to Lutheran Hospital, run up the, the steps to the floor. I go down the hallway to her room. I walk in and her husband's on one side of the desk and I go to the other side and take her hand. I say, June, I got the message. I got here as quick as I could. What's up? June was a nurse, and she could translate the medical lees into language I could understand. And she said, uh, they've been doing some more tests, and the specialist was in late last night, and he basically says, they've done all they can for me. He says, there is one experimental procedure that they might try, maybe, if I want. It might extend my days some, maybe, if I want to do that. And he said, but if we want to do it, we need to get started right away. And she says, Norm and I have been talking. We're not sure what to do. We wanted you to help us make the decision. So I asked a couple more questions. And then I said, well, let's, let's pray. And so I took her hand, and the deacon was there by that time. And Norm took her hand kind of around her bed. And I thank God for June, her love for the Lord, her kindnesses to me, her faithfulness at the church. I thank God for Lutheran Hospital and their people that have been caring for her so well. I thank God for Norm and how God was using this in his life and uh, warming him to spiritual things in a new and fresh way. Thank God for the people at our church that love June, we're praying for. And, you know, just basically, I just kind of prayed around. When I uh, said amen, I opened my eyes and looked at her, and she's looking right at me. And our eyes locked. And she said, Pastor, why don't you just ask him to take me home? So I did. God answered that prayer that night. I was so rebuked. 
here I am, preacher, Bible college graduate, seminary graduate, Greek, Hebrew, systematic theology, Christian for decades. And I'm standing at the bedside of somebody knocking on the door say, heaven. And I'm slow to talk about going to be with Jesus. That haunted me. For days, I pondered what happened in that room. The passage we're looking at helped me figure it out. What happened is that June, in the privacy of that motel, excuse me, that hospital room, with her theology books, with her Bible, with her Christian radio station, had been thinking about God. I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm very busy for God. Pastoring a church and doing all the stuff that comes with that. And her mouth spoke from what filled her heart. And mine didn't. Brothers and sisters, I'm saying to you, in whatever trials you're facing... Discipline yourself to focus on God, not yourselves. You got to pay attention to yourselves. You got things you got to carry out. But the primary focus ought to be on God and His faithfulness. And if you do that, you won't have to announce to people that you're doing it because as we talk to you, we'll know. Because your mouth will speak from that which fills your heart. Well, that's the who of faith. I said a moment ago that whether or not you live by faith or manifest a life by faith is dependent on who and what you think about. Let's talk about the what of faith for just a moment. When it comes to the what of faith, once again, there's two options. You can either choose to focus on your circumstances or on God's word. Now, this is, we see this from verses 22 and 23. Uh, look at verse uh, 23, the first part of verse 24. Verse 23 says, But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to him and woke him up. Now, <clears throat> the Sea of Galilee is a body of water that was below sea level. And it was known for sudden storms coming. Um, I think we need to recognize that these guys were in a really, really tough spot. And they were focused on their circumstances. I mean, you'd have to discipline your mind to not be focused on your circumstances in this situation. I mean, it's really bad. I mean, just can you try to picture this? Here's 12, 13 men in a boat. I mean, so this is not just the average rowboat that some of us or a canoe that some of us had a little bit of experience with. I mean, it's big enough, it's got 13 men in it. And the scripture is clear, the boat was being swamped. You know what that means? It's filling up with water. And there's a fierce gale of wind. I mean, it's just blowing and howling, that boat's tossing and turning. And uh, it's so bad that they think they're going to die. It's really bad. 
which should alert us even when our circumstances are really bad. We're still expected to live by faith. Well, biblical faith is manifested when we discipline our minds to focus on God's word, not our circumstances. In my mind's eye, as I've meditated on this passage, and I've tried to just think, what would it be like in that boat that day? In my mind's eye, they're doing everything they can to, to bail the water out. They're doing whatever thing they, they have to steady themselves and bail themselves out. And, you know, they're just frantic. They're focused on their circumstances. You know, it, it would have changed everything in the boat that day if just one of them, just, just anybody would have focused on the word of God instead of their circumstances. Amidst all the frantic bailing and hanging on to the sides, if just somebody would have said, hey, guys, guys, wait, wait a minute. What did he say when we got into the boat? D didn't he say, let us go to the other side of the lake? Yeah, yeah. Did anybody hear him say anything about going to the middle of the lake? No. He said other side, didn't he? Yeah. Well, have we ever known him to deceive us? Have we ever known him to tease us? Have we ever known him to let us down? No. Hey, guys, chill. This is going to work out all right. He said other side. Oh, what a difference it would have made if they just would have focused on two words from the lips of the Savior, other side. Here's a verse that's made that kind of a change in a lot of people's lives. Psalm 23, 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Brothers and sisters, every one of us needs what I call a hanging on verse that you cling to when things are really rough. Here's one that's been a help to me. I learned to quote this verse, the wonderful 23rd Psalm. I've learned to quote this first phrase, emphasizing the different words and thinking about what they mean. The Lord is my shepherd. 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 Oh, listen. That'll get you through a ton of heartache in life. Here's another one that you know. Most of you know Romans 8.28. I urge you to memorize verse 29 with it. And we know. We know. That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those that are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We know that. And we cling to it when our circumstances are horrendous. Here's another one. Think about this one. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 
when we, when we hang on to God's word, what we find out is he is the God of the other side. He's the God of the other side for you. No matter how bad your circumstances are, you can cling to his word and live by faith. If you do, your mouth will demonstrate that you're doing that. So whether or not we live by faith is contingent on who and what we think about. One of my favorite authors is Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you know the story of she and her husband, Jim Elliot. They were Moody Bible Institute graduates, went to the mission field. And shortly after being there, a few years after being there, her husband, Jim, and four other missionary men were martyred by the Aka Indians. She continued to stay there for a period of time. She was a single mom at that point. Later, she came back to the United States. A few years later, uh, Elizabeth Elliot remarried, and her second husband uh, died of cancer. Elizabeth Elliot was always known from even college days. She was writing short essays and to her family. Over the years, she would write short notes and everything. Later, uh, she remarried for the third time, and it was her third husband that uh, cared for her during the final years of her life when she uh, was living with Alzheimer's. And one of uh, her books that is my favorite is called Keep a Quiet Heart. And I, I read very few books twice. I've read this one three or four times. And um, it's just short little one, two, three page little notes she wrote to her family because after her or in her declining years, her family collected a lot of the notes that she'd sent family members. They put it together, and the book's called Keep a Quiet Heart. I highly recommend it. On pages 81 and 82, she has these statements that have been so significant to me. She writes, There is a philosophy of secular education which holds that the student ought to be allowed to assemble his own curriculum according to his own preferences. Few students have a strong basis for making these choices, not knowing how little they know. Ideas of what they need to learn are not only greatly limited, but greatly distorted. What they need is help from those who know more than they do. Mercifully, God does not leave us to choose our own curriculum because his wisdom is perfect. His knowledge embraces not only all worlds, but the individual hearts and minds of each of his loved children. With intimate understanding of our deepest needs and individual capacities, he chooses our curriculum we need only ask, give us this day our daily bread, our daily lessons, our homework. God's curriculum for all who sincerely want to know him and to do his will will always include lessons we wish we could skip.
And those lessons we wish we could skip are opportunities to live by faith and to please God in heaven. Bow with me, please. Oh God, would you see fit to help each of us to take steps forward in our walk with you, to be more pleasing to you by living by faith. Before I finish my prayer, I just want to pause a moment and give each of you an opportunity, maybe for some of you to repent of your focus on yourself in the midst of your trials rather than God. Some of you may want to focus, repent of focusing on your circumstances rather than God's word. For some of you, this challenge of living by faith is is new to you as a Christian. I invite you to purpose in your heart right now that by God's grace, I'm going to live and I'm going to discipline my mind think and act biblically, even if there's no human reason to do so. Heavenly Father, help each of us to respond in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you. In our precious Savior's name I pray, amen.